the discussion is so much also in the public that in combination with the Expo 2020, we thought this is exactly what an Expo is good for, or it was at least initially was made for, that you bring technology to the people. And, and, and this is, I think, what we achieved with this very first pilot. You are listening to the Siemens Energy Podcast Series. The energy sector is undergoing an unprecedented transformation, presenting both challenges and opportunities. The demand for energy is increasing worldwide. And at the same time, we must combat the effects of climate change and reduce CO2 emissions. On each episode, we bring you conversations with some of the world's cutting-edge thought leaders in energy and related subjects. Our goal is to help you understand energy, the challenges we face today, and what the future holds. Subscribe and be sure to check out our website for more resources. Siemens Energy is providing this podcast as a public service. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by Siemens Energy. The views expressed by guests and hosts are their own, and their appearances on this program do not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Views and opinions expressed by Siemens Energy employees are those of the employees and do not necessarily reflect the views of Siemens Energy or any of its officials. Hello. In this episode, we talk with Manuel Kuhn, head of new energy for the Middle East and Africa at Siemens Energy regions where the energy transition is undergoing rapid change. Hello, Manuel. Thank you for joining us today. I think a lot of people understand that we're in the middle of an energy transformation and that it's happening quickly, but tell us how impactful you think green hydrogen is going to be to this transformation. It is pretty clear that we need to transform the way how we generate and consume energy. And, but I also want to point out that this is not completely driven by the need to fight climate change. It should be also an opportunity and it is also an economic opportunity. If you just consider that the cost for producing renewable energy has dropped that much that in some areas of the world, it already beats the conventional energy generation. Mm-hmm. We also have to see that it is also from an economic perspective, very prudent to look into the to all options that we have to bringing the renewable energy into our daily life and give it a big role in the energy. Now, this is where green hydrogen comes in, because green hydrogen is able to bridge certain gaps between the way how we can produce renewable energy and how we consume it. And that is mainly because hydrogen in the form how we use it today in the conventional industries is already an energy carrier, but the way how we produce this is harmful to the climate. So now if we manage to decarbonize the way how we produce hydrogen and still use it in the industries, we can decarbonize these industries and that's part of the transition we look at. And the other part of the transition is that we bring green hydrogen into sectors where we haven't used it before because with this, it can bring the aspect of the green electricity with it if we produce it based on green electricity. So at the end, it's something like a missing link in the energy. And that's where all the attention. So uh, who's driving the development of this industry of green hydrogen? Is, is it something that is moving along quickly? Is the development happening in these sectors that you mentioned as fast as it should? Or is the cost a prohibitive factor at the moment? So we, we, first of all, we see a lot of different players going into and everybody comes from its own perspective. Yeah? So big oil, renewable developers, you see uh, enthusiasts, people who just want to invest in tech, 
And you also see big funds who seriously want to change their portfolio purely from an ESG agenda. So you have a lot of different actors in the market that come, everybody with this very specific point of view, but at the end, they meet at the same topic, which is a very interesting situation that we have right now, because it takes, it takes effort and a lot of talking in order to make sure that we get everybody on the same page, because we all have the same goal, but we have from our past different means how we get there. So, so everybody needs to come at it from, or they are coming at it from a different perspective, and that's what needs to get some synergy around it so that green hydrogen becomes more prevalent in the industry. Is that what you're implying here? That's true. And in addition, we also have, of course, a big push in the public opinion into decarbonizing the way how we produce and consume energy. And we also have, based on that, the government's looking very strongly into the question how they can foster the use of green hydrogen and kickstart this industry. So there is a big aspect of industry development and also the question, how will this green hydrogen economy that's about to come generate jobs and create prosperity in my very country? And again, this question and also the answers to that is different depending on where you are. That brings me to the question about Siemens Energy's key initiatives in the Middle East. Can you explain those? Mm -hmm. The Middle East is a very interesting region in this aspect because the Middle East got its wealth from the extraction and the selling of hydrocarbons. Now, all of a sudden, we are talking about a potential new energy carrier. So in the Middle East, we have a bit of a dual perspective on it. It's about decarbonizing our own industries, but it's also very strongly the question, if we manage to position green hydrogen or green molecules that are produced in the Middle East and have this as a good to export. And that would create something like the new oil. And we cannot forget that is again, or it's going to be a competitive market. So what's going to happen is that you will see the Middle East being in competition with other regions that might not be on the radar for hydrocarbons, but they are now on the radar because they have very good renewables. They have a good um, location on the globe. So we have an advantage from logistics, access to other customers. So there is a different market with different market mechanisms and also different, a different competitive landscape emerging over the next couple of years or decades. So what are the Siemens Energy key initiatives? What are you all looking at right now in the Middle East? Mm -hmm. So we have already a couple of years back in preparation to the Expo 2020 in Dubai, we have identified that sooner or later, the question of how to generate green hydrogen in the Middle East will become a topic that interests a lot of people. So we started in a pilot with, together with Expo 2020 and uh, DEVA, the local utility in Dubai, to deploy the first industrial scale solar-powered green hydrogen production, a bit long. <laughs> <laughs> and and now, it's, now we have it and it's running. So the plant is in operation and the plant produces 100% green hydrogen because it's only powered by solar energy. We split water, we produce green hydrogen. The plant re-electrifies it. So we basically build a big battery, power in and power out. But for us, the key purpose of this first initiative was to make sure that we show that the technology is reliable and safe, that it can be deployed in Middle East environments, and 
that we get it closer to to the people because now the, the discussion is so much also in the public that in combination with the Expo 2020, we thought this is exactly what an expo is good for, or it was this initially was made for that you bring technology to the people. And, and, and this is, I think, what we achieved with this very first pilot. And then we have a second step, which we are working on now with our partners in Abu Dhabi, specifically with Master. And there we want to go two more steps. First of all, we, we want to go one size bigger in the, in the electrolyzer. But we also want to get one step further down in the value chain. So it's, that is not anymore about producing hydrogen only. It's about synthesizing this hydrogen as a feedstock to a green molecule, which then allows us to decarbonize sectors that wouldn't be addressable either to renewable energy or to hydrogen itself. What we will do is to produce synthetic kerosene out of this hydrogen. And that synthetic kerosene can be dropped into conventional aviation fuel and then decarbonize our planes. And the, the beauty of the synthetic kerosene is that the plane is still the same plane as we use today because at the end, the kerosene or the jet A, how they call it, is exactly the same thing than what you would have before. So the engine technology doesn't change. The aviation asset, the plane, doesn't change. What we do is we give it an alternative feedstock for the fuel that you use. So that's interesting. That means that green hydrogen can be formatted, formulated. It can be designed to do many different things. It doesn't have to be in its pure form to be able to support renewable energies in these different sectors, correct? Exactly. So this is one of the interesting attributes. Hydrogen is a, already today in the industry a widely used feedstock for all kinds of processes. So if I manage to produce green hydrogen at, of course, an acceptable cost, and it's something that needs to be talked about, but if, mm -hmm. if, if in the right quantity at the right cost, if I inject it into the process that I have today, I can convert the output of that process into a green product. So I create green fuel, or I can create a greener polymer, which is then greener plastic. So there are various applications where you go into chemical or special chemical processes and you manage to decarbonize this whole thing. So a lot of products that today we use could reduce the carbon footprint significantly if we manage to inject green hydrogen into feedstock where possible. That's very interesting. Now, you touched on something earlier that I want to bring up now, and that's governments and communities. And whether or not you feel that they are a roadblock at this point or if they're on board and moving along with the green hydrogen as a feedstock, like you said, and other uses for it, or are they an impediment to moving this forward? Honestly, the, the feedback we receive from governments to initiatives like the two that I just mentioned is overwhelming. Mm -hmm. oh, there is, a, there is a, a big There is a big demand to, first of all, understand exactly how the technology works what it means for the industries and the communities, how it can be scaled in the respective countries, or what it would mean to the industry landscape in the countries. So governments are very much all over the globe busy with, on the one side, assessing what it means for them, but also supporting the initiatives. So we cannot really ask for more attention right now, but we also have to see that setting up these new value chains in a time where the technology has to still be proven where the commercial aspects of the project are challenging 
it takes time and effort to to align the stars so that you really get a go and, and and can do the next step. And that is an effort that the governments take and also the private sector. The governments have set benchmarks for decarbonizing their regions around the country, and hydrogen, of course, will be a part of that. But do you think they're thinking too far ahead? Do you think those benchmarks that they've set are too aggressive, or do you think that hydrogen and other renewable energies can keep up with those benchmarks that have been set by various governments? I think that depends a bit on the region, and this will remain to be seen. In this initial phases of the market, it is absolutely important that we create a market pull and by setting up these kind of minimum thresholds for dropping in biofuels or green fuels, for example, what's, for example, happening in Europe right now, the hardest or most, the clearest requirements from a regulatory perspective we currently see in Europe, Scandinavia, this is really good because it creates a market pull. It leaves the other market actors no space to evade. Whether now you can achieve 30% sustainable aviation fuel by 2030 or not, we, we will see. The fact that it's written in a law and you cannot argue that you evade it creates exactly this market pull that we need because that can also justify to invest in these projects and to develop the technology because we create a picture where we see that the demand is really going to come. And that is something that is absolutely needed right now. We need security for investors, or let me start again. We need first security for the technology developers that it's worthwhile to develop, to develop the technology. Because later on, there will be an investor who thinks it's worthwhile to invest in large-scale assets. And this only can happen if there is a market there. So the more we can de-risk the perspective of the technology developer and also the investors later on, the faster we will get to that tipping point where the market runs by itself and is not anymore subject to subsidies or, or government funding, which we see today quite a lot and we need it. But sooner or later, we have to get out of it because we cannot afford to subsidize every project. We have to make sure that the market pulls and the industry delivers. So focusing on those areas that you just mentioned, uh, where do you see the growth areas for hydrogen. What would you say is the number one growth area where hydrogen is going to be in play, say, in the next three to five years? Mm -hmm. There are certain industries where if you apply carbon taxing, the, the business case for decarbonizing the production flips earlier. And probably the one where you reach that break even first is, for example, steel. That's why you see already quite some announcement on green steel and companies looking very seriously into the question how they can decarbonize steel production. So probably steel, green steel is one of the very early cases where even large-scale applications will pay off with a relatively low carbon tax. Some people say $50 a ton would be enough already. So that's an early one. And then there are others that come maybe a bit later. And, and you could now scale it with uh, on a timeline with technology readiness, but you can also just scale it on, on the required carbon tax because that, that is basically what defines a, a business case. If we don't allow anymore that we have emissions for low or marginal costs, if this is clear that this does not happen anymore, the, the, the industries will change the way how they operate. So a lot can be triggered by the question of how we price 
carbon emissions. And so we start with steel, we will probably go via refining, and we will also reach the transportation sector very soon. That's also why we, we look into this sustainable aviation topic, because that is an area, at least for long-haul flying, where we don't see much of another chance from a technology perspective to decarbonize long-haul flights. We need liquid fuels. So it's a relatively safe bet in terms of the application, but we also know that from the technology and from the economics, there's a long way to go. So it's reasonable to start early. So you bring me to technology and innovation. I think that's an area where Siemens Energy is certainly a major player. And can you talk a little bit about that and what is maybe the next big technology or innovative technology that may be coming down the pike? Mm -hmm. So what we have seen in the last years when we develop our technology we use for the hydrogen production, it's called proton exchange membrane. So we brought it out of the lab into a semi-industrial scale to an industrial scale. So we managed to scale it up by factor 10 to 15 every five years. Now we get a different kind of feedback from the industry because they start asking for large volumes. And these large volumes are not only coming anymore from the products, they come from plants. So that is something that I believe is going to happen now. We will start thinking more about how to set up integrated plants that might even be based on various technologies where you have to combine different technologies that we see in the energy transition space. And so that's one area of the plant. And then the other one is, of course, to still work on the product, on the amount of precious metals that are used in the electrolyzers, the overall cost position in scaling up the manufacturing. So this is all, this is all product first. But I find the a bit larger perspective on, on plants and even the value chain also quite interesting, and we need to think a bit about it. If I use solar power to, to supply into an electrolyzer, I don't have any power during the night. means my electrolyzer is not running during the night. The asset is idle. Economically, it's not very good. I can introduce batteries, but today's you would find that the batteries are also still a little bit expensive. So it's sometimes even better to keep the electrolyzer shut down during the night. But both of this doesn't matter. So we will sooner or later see that these different technologies will start emphasizing the speed on one or the other. So the day we get battery technology or, or any kind of storage, could be thermal storage as well, but the, the day we get the topic on thermal storage or battery storage fixed, it will also change the way how we calculate the business cases on large green hydrogen plants because I can completely optimize the operation. And then again, the logic changes. And this, these are these tipping points that we will have where different energy transition technologies will foster each other and, and then we really start scaling. That sounds wonderful. And I hope that happens at the pace that we all would like it to, because we certainly know that renewables and green energy are front and center right now within society and within industry as well. Which leads me to my final question for you. What is the most important message you would like to get across in relation to green energy and hydrogen? The most important aspect is that we as a world citizen, employee, consumer, government employee, whatever you may be, we need to accept that 
this energy transition will not go and pass us without having an impact on our life. So sooner or later, we have to accept that certain things will change the way how they are presented to us in quality, in availability, or in price. And I, I really believe that price is the least of the worst of those three things I just mentioned. Really? So we just have to accept, we just have to accept that, for example, that a, a flight ticket that uses a certain amount of sustainable aviation fuel will not have the same price as the base. Because as I said before, the question is, can we allow ourselves to release emissions in the atmosphere without a price tag on it? And as we go with these regulatory measures that we mentioned before, and, and I know that they will come, and they will come more and more, this will end up with everybody of us. So we should get mentally prepared that we have to change behaviors, the way how we consume, or we have to accept different price levels. And that will hit us all. And it hits food, food sectors, transportation. We can decarbonize clothes. But we have to ask ourselves what we are willing to do for that. Thank you, Ben. That has been very interesting conversation. And I think it's given all of us something to think about as we move forward in this new green energy economy and the transformation that we're going through. If our listeners want to find out more about what Siemens Energy is doing in this space, can you provide a website perhaps that they could visit? Yeah, sure, I can. That would be www.siemens energy.com forward slash hydrogen. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. We hope you found this episode valuable. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a five-star review. You can find more information and all of the resources mentioned in today's episode at siemens-energy.com forward slash podcast.